You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Where are we going? Over the middle, caught by Hollywood Brown. See you later. Hollywood to the house. Jackson, the spin and toss. Ingram makes a man miss. Diving. Touchdown. What an effort. Russell Wilson's first pass to Metcalf. And Metcalf had it, lost it, and is picked up by the Ravens. And running in is Marlon Humphrey for the touchdown. There's a second down and three. Jackson checks it himself. Look at him turn back and forth. Oh! He broke his ankles. Now he's got an entourage. And he's got a touchdown. He is Houdini. What a play. 47-yard touchdown run by the magical quarterback, Lamar Jackson. Hello and welcome to Pod Like a Raven. It is officially Super Bowl week. Officially the last episode where we will have football games, or in this case game, to talk about, although it is not the Ravens, so it's not as exciting, but we're here to preview it for you. I'm Antonio Barbera, joined by my co-hosts, first and foremost, Tim Horsey. Tim, it's the last game. Game number, what is it, 256? Is that the the fun uh, anecdote people love to say, is that it's game 256 of the NFL season? How do you feel about it? First of all, I have no idea if it's game 250. Sure, I'll take your word for it. Um, I don't know. Either Mahomes is going to win another Super Bowl or Brady's going to win another Super Bowl. So I can't say I'm stoked to watch this final uh, final football game. But, you know, it is the Super Bowl. By the time we get to Sunday, I'll be excited. So I'm doing okay. And joining on the West Coast, Jace Evans. Jace, is it game 256? <laughs> Uh, I believe that figure's right. Uh, it's definitely in the vicinity of 250-something. <laughs> um, I, I believe you have the right number there. Um, the, uh, yeah, one more game until we're all 0-0 zero and zero again, and we can start thinking about Ravens football 2021. So, always reasons to be excited. It is the Super Bowl. Uh, 
I'm not thrilled with the matchup, similar to Tim, <laughs> but we'll cross that bridge, you know. It's uh, still the whole week to go, so I'm as sure I'll this, get hyped for it, too. There's the this, weekend playing. <laughs> as this is a weekend, excuse me, as this is a Ravens podcast, we are going to, of course, take Super Bowl week and start with a few Ravens news and notes, as we do every week, and then get into a little Super Bowl preview, look at some fun prop bets that we like, and then make our final picks for this last game of the season starting with the Ravens however uh, one player move let's call it one player extension is fan favorite tight end Nick Boyle getting a two-year extension Tim you're going to give us some of the numbers here in details but it, the the big news is that it creates two million dollars in cap space right no no the big news is that Nick Boyle one of the most underrated parts of this Ravens team is going to be on this team for two more seasons than he might have been. Uh, so he still has the other year on his deal. Uh, now this will go to 2023. It does reduce, as Antonio said, it does reduce his cap number, which was the sixth highest on the team, by the way, which we were talking before the show started recording, is a little ridiculous, but so is the salary cap in general sometimes. Reduces his $7.83 million cap figure this year. Um, before Eric DaCosta said the Ravens are going to have about 15 to $20 million in cap room. So that extends that a little more, which is good. You know, obviously, I don't can't remember the last time it was like, oh, man, the Ravens have so much cap room, which, you know, is a testament to how consistently good they usually are. Um, but for me, I think this is more about the player. I really do. Um, and you can look at the numbers and stuff and how it frees money up for other guys. But... I think Boyle is so, so important to this team, and you saw it when he went out initially. It took them a long time to try and find somebody that could even do half of what he does as a blocking tight end. Um, Last year, because obviously he was injured, for those of you that uh, forget that, he was injured most of the season this year. And I think his receiving game has improved a little bit, too. Uh, You know, in the 14-2 season, he was a viable option in a passing game that doesn't have a ton of them. So... Obviously, most of his work he does on the offensive line, mauling dudes. And, I mean, just look at the guy. He looks like a football player, like, through and through. So, for me, I, I get it, and I'm I'm sure if you asked Eric DaCosta after, you know, a little truth serum, he would say this was mainly about the numbers. But I think this is a very important part of this Ravens run game that is often overlooked because he's a blocking tight end. It's not something that everybody wants to talk about. So, I think, you know, positives all around for the Ravens here. Yeah, I, I think it's a win-win for both sides. I think Nick Boyle's a player, you know, you want into the fold, keep in the fold uh, for what he brings. Because I, I, I agree, I think he's very important to what they do on offense, um, especially in the run game. And then, uh, so you keep him around and, you know, you can free yourself up with some space uh, for this upcoming season, which... As we said, a very important one. It's the last year of, not Lamar's rookie deal, but the last year of his really low number on his rookie deal before it goes up in that fifth year. Um, so it's a big year. And to give yourself the salary cap flexibility uh, in that season is important. So, yeah, I think it's hard to find any fault with this deal. You keep a guy you like around. That's key. Guys in the locker room like him. He's important to what you do. And he saves some money. So I have no complaints. Elsewhere in Ravens land. Some of us woke up with a headline that started with the Texans hiring Ravens assistant coach. And some of us may have gone, Oh no, is it Greg Roman? Is it Wink Martindale? Nope. 
neither of them. It's Ravens assistant head coach David Culley, who I knew very... I did not know his name. I knew I would recognize his face on the sidelines, getting all excited during the, like, mic'd up segments of Ravens games, but did not know a lot about him, but a longtime assistant. And uh, the, the titles that he had on the Ravens, Jace, maybe not what you would think would then lead you to a head coaching job. Assistant head coach, wide receiver coach, and passing game coordinator, which may or may not have been the two weakest things that the Ravens <laughs> did or had on this team. But what did, what happened here with David Culley? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because, as you mentioned, not uh, the things the Ravens are known for. Uh, and you say, you know, you think you're like, well, that doesn't seem like someone who's going to get the most out of Deshaun Watson. Well, it turns out Deshaun Watson absolutely wants out of Houston. And so that made the Texans job very, very unattractive. It does not seem like Deshaun Watson is going to play another game for the Houston Texans. Um, and, you know, because that made that job so unattractive, I think they were just working with such a small pool of candidates. I think a guy like Eric Bieniemy probably didn't want to go to Houston. Maybe he did, but... It's a very, very dire situation without Deshaun Watson. You have no first-round pick this year. That's number three overall. You might not have Deshaun Watson. at Like, he doesn't want to play there. So I think the pool was very small, and I think that's how you end up with a guy like Cully, who, you know, very well-respected, uh, pretty old for a first-time head coach. He's 65. Um, and I guess you just lean on that. You say he was the assistant head coach, so, you know, he had a lot of, I guess, sort of CEO responsibilities in addition to his other responsibilities. I think it just kind of comes down to this job was really undesirable, and Cully probably saw his chance to be an NFL head coach probably for the first and final time at 65. Um, so, I don't know. I wish him luck. I don't think the Texans are going to be very good, but I think that's kind of how you'll end up with a guy like him as your head coach. Yeah, I mean, look, anytime it's not a top, top candidate, it's going to get dragged over the coals on social media, and it, it definitely did, and, and maybe rightly so. I didn't know who David Culley was before his name popped up, and it's it's just... You know, wild when you see guys like Wink Martindale not getting calls and whatever it is. But I tend to go more positive on this, you know, and Jace makes incredibly valid points. And I don't want to just kind of retread over all of those. Uh, so for, for me, one, look, and everybody has said this, this is not an original idea at all. The lack of minority head coaches in the, in the, fo in the National Football League is an absolute joke. Um, and... The enemy not getting hired, it, it calls things into question. Now, I personally think he's probably, Andy, Andy Reid's probably like, just hang around for like two years. I'm going to win two more ships. I'll be done. You can have Pat Mahomes. And if I'm the enemy, I'm like, yeah, okay, sounds good. But if that's not, if that's not the case, I don't know. It, it, it just seems a little shady to me that there are not nearly as many minority NFL head coaches when you look at the league and it's primarily African-American players who play in the league. And obviously there's a lot of coaches on these staffs. I think you look at all four coordinators, I believe, for the Bucks and the Chiefs. No, not Steve Spagnuolo. Apologies. But three of the four offensive and defense coordinator are African-American. So I think it's very good that Cully is getting his chance in that respect. On that side, too, from a Ravens perspective, the Ravens get picks out of this because he is a minority coach, which... I think is a pretty cool initiative that the NFL put in place. 
and we love comp picks, and we just got two more, a third-round pick this year and a third-round pick next year. Um, everything you said about about Watson not being there and this job being very uh, undesirable, although Houston is kind of holding firm that he's going to be the quarterback, well, that's going to get incredibly ugly uh, as, as the offseason moves along. And the only other thing I have to add is, I remember when Harbaugh got hired, and everybody went, why are they going for the special teams guy? They could have had Josh McDaniels. They could have had, I think Jim Fossil was a candidate at one point. They, they, Rex Ryan. They could have promoted Rex Ryan. Why didn't they promote their in-house guy, Rex Ryan? And all the stuff you heard about Harbaugh was kind of the stuff you're hearing about Cauley. Now, you hear a lot of this when these guys get promoted of like, oh, the guys love him. He's a team leader, yada, yada, yada. But when you're hearing similarities between John Harbaugh, who I think we all hold in very high regard, and a guy like David Cauley, we got to give him his shot. So, you know, I'm definitely leaning positive, but, and I understand the negative, but I think it might be a little bit overblown, um, you know, how much hate this hire was getting when it was first announced. Tim, the only pushback I'm going to give you is that when Harbaugh was hired and he was sort of an unknown I think he was in his early 40s, like he was supposed to, in theory, he's a young up-and-comer who hasn't had the coordinator, you know, like top coordinator job because he just hasn't been doing it very long, whereas David Culley's been doing it for a very long time and has still not gotten even a, a top coordinator role. Uh, Jace, your, your thing about the pool of coaches maybe shrinking based on this job and based on the franchise... The only thing I would have thought Houston could try, maybe they did try this, was you can convince a guy to come if you guarantee him time, if you give him a longer deal. And that was sort of what Oakland, right, now, the now Las Vegas Raiders, basically, I think had to do to convince John Gruden to come out of the cushiest job he could have had as a an analyst on Monday Night Football to come coach. And he said, well, sure, but I want a 10-year gigantic contract, which may or may not have been the right thing to do, but... I wonder if Houston considered that by trying to get a, a top-name guy owning up to the fact that it's going to take several years for that team to really have a chance to compete and get some of those first-round picks back. Um, speaking of first-round picks, I feel like this is a good segue into something else that happened this week that we have to talk about briefly. Non-Ravens-related, however, we'll trade. We'll trade action between... Rams and Lions for number one overall picks. Guys, what did you think of the Matthew Stafford, Jared Goff, I should say, plus a a whole bunch of picks uh, trade in in the NFL landscape as a result? Yeah, uh, I haven't decided if I hate this trade for the Rams or love it. I like it a lot for the Lions. Um, When you found out that the Lions were parting ways with uh, Matthew Stafford, uh, you know, that's a sign of a rebuild, but I think they did really well in this. They get the Rams first round picks in 2022, 2023, and also a third round pick this year. And Jared Goff, who, you know, is he perfect? Absolutely not. I think Matt Stafford is a decided upgrade on Jared Goff. And I believe that's obviously why the Rams made this move. They have Super Bowl ambitions. They want to win now. Um, and, you know, Matt Stafford's older, but he's better. He's better than Jared Goff. So that's why you make this move. But I still think Jared Goff's like, you know, he's a starting level QB, which outside of Stafford, you can't really say the Lions have ever <laughs> had since like the 50s. So um, 
I think for the Lions, it's clear you're starting a full rebuild, and it's disappointing you didn't win more with Stafford. He holds every single record. Um, but I think you got a great return for a guy who turns 33 uh, this week. So um, I was uh, obviously golf does have a big contract hit, but the Lions they're rebuilding. They can eat that. Um, so I'm definitely more fascinated by the trade from the Rams side because they gave up a lot of picks and. Uh, they have not had a first round pick since they selected Jared Goff, which was in 2016, and they are not set to pick again in the first round until 2024. That's <laughs> a long time uh, of just not having first round picks, and it's not something we see much um, in the NFL these days. So it's just a fascinating roster sh- building strategy to me. But uh, yeah, uh, as I said, I don't know if I hate it because it seems like a lot to give up for Matt Stafford. Um I do like Matt Stafford. I think he's probably been underrated just because of how bad the Lions are. He's 0-3 in the playoffs. So if this is your 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 bid to win now, you're getting a guy who's done not a lot of winning. So that concerns me a little bit too. But yeah, I, I, I'm i going to be thinking about this. It was one of the more surprising trades I've seen in a while. So um, yeah, definitely unexpected, definitely interesting, and can't wait to see how it plays out. It should make the NFC very interesting this upcoming season. I mean, they had Stafford linked to Indianapolis, San Francisco, um, a couple other teams. Didn't see the Rams coming, but we should have because the Rams hate drafts. The Rams hate drafting players. And there's been quotes going around this week from members inside the organization. I know Andrew Brandt uh, from SI does a bunch of other stuff. Used to be an executive with the Packers. Um, good follow on Twitter for this money type stuff. He said he talked to a Rams executive who basically was like, yeah, the draft, you never know. Like, how many of these first-round picks actually hit? Well, maybe get a better freaking scouting department then if they're not hitting that much. Look at, you know, all of the really good teams right now have drafted a lot of their core players. But the Rams are, are zigging when everybody else is zagging. And if they can eat this money, great. I mean, they have a next year. They have to eat twenty two point two million dollars of Goff's contract against the salary cap. Now, Detroit has to eat nineteen million of Stafford, so you could kind of say it offsets a little bit there in terms of dead money left on the salary cap. And maybe we'll have to get Brian McFarlane on in the off season from Raven Salary Cap to kind of break a lot of this stuff down. But I, I really like Matt Stafford. I think that. The guy, I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. I know people are going to say that because all the numbers and numbers and numbers. I'm sorry, you got to win. And I know it sucks that you've been on one of the most cursed sports franchises in the world. Um, And I'm talking like global sports too in the Detroit Lions. But I think this is a great move for LA. Now, the biggest caveat is if Stafford can stay healthy because the dude just took shot after shot after shot behind the paper mache offensive lines of the Detroit Lions for years and years and years. But if he can stay healthy, Sean McVay is licking his lips, rubbing his hands together. He is so excited to get a guy of that caliber um, under center because he knew he didn't have it in Jared Goff. And and the, the part with LA, too, that just continues to boggle my mind. It seems like they have known for a lo- very long time that Jared Goff was not the guy. So why did they pay him all this money? The only reason they have to get rid of these first-round picks, it's not because of Jared Goff. It's not because of the quality of Matt Stafford. They have to get rid of all these picks and mortgage their future because they paid Jared Goff so much money. Now, 
if the Stafford thing hits and they win a Super Bowl, you can take a couple years of mediocrity after that. We saw that with Joe Flacco and the Ravens. You know, they had a ton of goodwill because they won that Super Bowl in 2012. But if they don't win a Super Bowl with Stafford, this is going to go down as a terrible, terrible trade because they've essentially mortgaged their future because they spent so much money on a, Jace put it very nicely when said starting quarterback, a below average quarterback (laughs) in the National Football League. He ain't that good, and now he's not going to have McVay. He's going to have Dan Campbell, who's going to want him to eat some kneecaps every time he gets hit and coming down from a sack. <laughs> Look, they're, the, Detroit's it's funny to say they're in rebuild when they're never building towards anything. They're just crumbling <laughs> over and over and over again. But they're technically in a rebuild. So if golf is bad, maybe it helps them get higher draft picks the, down the line. But I know I'm going back and forth a little bit, but for me – I like Stafford. I think if he's healthy, this works out, and it gives them a legitimate chance at the Super Bowl with that roster as currently constructed, which they did not have before. So for me, you know, I like when teams take risks like that. So credit to L.A. for going out and getting Stafford when they weren't a team that was on the list for him. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with both of you, frankly. I, I actually like this trade for both teams. I think the Lions... Tim, everything you said about the Lions is true, but if you start from where they are, where they were yesterday, where they were before this trade, to where they are after this trade, I would say I think they've positioned themselves looking forward. If they make the right decisions moving forward, they've positioned themselves really, really well, given the fact that the guy who they had at quarterback was 32 years old and had played 12 seasons and they hadn't done anything, so it's a a way to get picks for, for an asset, so to speak. I, I think Stafford's going to be good in L.A. I, I think he's going to have a fine season, but will that mean going to the playoffs or will that mean winning the Super Bowl? The, the gray area there is is wide, and if it's not a Super Bowl, it would still be a good season in theory, but it's not going to be enough for, for what they've expected and what they've gotten from this team. The last thing, a trivia question for you guys. How many Pro Bowls has Matthew Stafford made in his career? <laughs> uh, I'll say three. I'm going to say the reason you're asking this makes me think zero, but I, it can't be, so I'll say one. It is one. Wow. One Pro Bowl <laughs> in 12 seasons. Yep. And in theory, that should be a stat-type situation, which would get you Pro Bowl, but maybe maybe hard luck with, with the Lions for those years. I'll just say one thing quickly on this, too, before we move on. I think for the Lions, who have the number seven overall pick, there are a lot of good quarterbacks in this draft, and we'll dive more into that after we get through this wretched Super Bowl of Mahomes versus Brady, which already makes me want to blow my brains out. But if there is a quarterback there that they like at seven, draft that man and eat the contract on golf and put him on the bench. Like, I don't think, and I don't know, if you're trusting Dan Campbell in this new organization, that's a whole different question. You put the dude on his on his uh, office, right outside his office. So maybe you trust the guy. That's fine. If you have a guy there at seven that you like, I think you still absolutely have to take him. I don't think this takes a quarterback off the board for the Lions if, if, if I'm in Detroit. Last note before we pivot to the Super Bowl is, uh, dare I say, a worrying tweet from a Ravens player, and it's Orlando Brown Jr., and he sort of flat out this week came out saying in a tweet that he considers himself a left tackle in the NFL uh, for those of you who don't know, Orlando Brown Jr. has been a right tackle for the Ravens uh, for the first year and a half of his career and then moved to left tackle 
when Ronnie Stanley got hurt, and then played annoyingly well, I'll say, at left tackle, and now it's going to create a whole bunch of issues uh, salary or salary-wise if uh, Brown wants to be paid or considered as a left tackle moving forward. Jay's thoughts on uh, on Orlando Brown Jr. saying what a lot of people were thinking. Um, it's definitely fascinating. Jeff Zrebic had a pretty interesting piece, kind of just breaking down uh, the situation if it, you know... If it spirals and somehow ends up with Orlando Brown being traded, I would stun me. I think I get a sentiment. He wants to be a left tackle. I think he showed he's probably good enough to be a st- regular starting left tackle. Um, but I have some bad news for him. Uh, Ronnie Stanley's the left tackle of this team. They paid him to be so. They drafted him sixth overall to be so. They have just invested so much more into Ronnie Stanley. And frankly, obviously, freak injury with Ronnie Stanley. But when healthy, Ronnie Stanley last year was the best left tackle in football. Uh, Before his injury, I believe he was graded second against pass protection this season. Um, So Ronnie Stanley is better than Orlando Brown Jr. Um, That being said, Orlando Brown Jr., very, very good player. Don't want to lose him if he's hell-bent on playing left tackle. And I think we've talked about this in the past. I think reaching that extension with Ronnie Stanley, reaching that extension with Marlon Humphrey, I do not see Orlando Brown on this team after next season, one way or the other. Especially if he seems so determined to play left tackle. Which I get. You get more money to play left tackle. You know, uh, you played left tackle pretty much your whole life until this. you got to the NFL. So I get his desire, too. It's just not going to happen to the Ravens. And if he, you know, for some reason is so against playing right tackle in 2021, I guess they'll figure it out. But more likely, he plays, he was drafted in the third round, so he only has a four-year rookie deal. And I imagine Orlando Brown is not on the Ravens come 2022. Yeah, I'll be completely honest. I did not even consider the likelihood of the Ravens possibly trading him this season. I didn't either until I read that Zerebic thing and then I was like, ah, he doesn't just like write things down, you know, like he, there might be some smoke there, I guess. Yeah, well, and this comes from Jason Lockenfora, uh when this news broke, said, quote, based on Orlando Brown's tweet, the Ravens top money deal with left tackle Ronnie Stanley, who as Jace correctly points out, is the better player. And what I'm hearing from sources, Brown is stuck in is only interested in playing left tackle, and his days in Baltimore are likely numbered. Trade may be the only solution. Quickly on all this, because Jace kind of nailed all of it. Um, His days are numbered, but it's when his contract runs out, because I think he has earned left tackle money. As Antonio put, he played annoyingly well. He was very good. He launched his own clothing line, Easy Money, because apparently every decent Ravens player has to have their own clothing line now, which doesn't make any sense to me now. And that's starting to be a what's bothering Tim. I don't have enough money to spend on all these all this clothes. Um, all these clothes. I just had my grammar is just horrible. I think his days are likely numbered, but it's not going to be a trade situation. I look. Orlando Brown Jr. is a legacy Raven. You know, Zeus played for the Baltimore Ravens. They, I think he understands what it's like to play here compared to, I don't know, like when his dad was in Cleveland and playing for the Browns. He is at a very good organization. He is at a team that has a chance to win a Super Bowl. And if you want to give that up because you want a couple more bucks or you want to play left tackle, when all you have to do is play one more season at right tackle, perform at a high level again, 
probably make the Pro Bowl because there's not a lot of top right tackles around. And then when you go to the negotiating table as a free agent, you can look back on this year and say, look what I did at left as well. I'm versatile and can play this left tackle. I want more money. I think you can still do all of that and play out the remainder of your contract on the right side of this offensive line. And if they're going to trade him, I'm sorry. You're getting Laramie Tunsil or you're getting uh, like some sort of ridiculous deal. The Ravens are not going to give him away for cheap. It's going to be multiple first-round picks because that is a premier position in the NFL that people are going to be trying to trade for. So I don't know. I hate when guys tweet out this speculation that we have to talk about, but if he really wants to be traded, I think somebody's just going to sit him down and say, hey, look, give us another pro, all-pro year at right tackle and then go get your money. This is how we do things. We'll find another right tackle in the fourth round of the draft and we'll be okay. Well, and that's and when Jeff Zariba wrote about it today, that's kind of the – he doesn't really have any leverage in this. No. He's got one year left on his deal, right. and you have to play it to become a free agent. So it's like even if you want to play left tackle, you're playing the 2021 season – on this deal. This is what you're going to make. So, you know, I I think he can share his thoughts and he's obviously free to do so, but I don't think it really changes the reality of his situation. That's not, you know, this isn't the NBA. That's not how the NFL works. Like he uh he's stuck on this deal for another year and then uh then they can reconsider. Greg Roman furiously scribbling down notes on how to revolutionize his offense with a first left tackle and a second left tackle and then a left guard and a center and it's it's going to change revolutionize the run game all right that's it for ravens news we're going to have jace do his random raven now and then we'll get into a little super bowl preview so jace who do you have for us all right so this player was drafted by the ravens in the fifth round of the 2013 nfl draft he appeared in 62 games for the Ravens over four years, making 47 starts. He moved on to the Detroit Lions in free agency after the 2016 season, and then he was cut by the team in March of 2020. Cut by the Lions, that is. Clue four. The Wisconsin product spent this past season with his home state Green Bay Packers. And then our final clue, and I have a bonus clue if we did it later, but his number 71 has since been worn by probably once in future random Raven Jermaine Illuminor and Jelly Ellis. You know what's funny about this guy? Um, for those of you that don't know, Jace went to high school with Robbie Havenstein, who plays for the Rams now still, Jace? Is that correct? Yep, still the Rams' right tackle. I always confuse this guy with the one that Jace went to high school with, and I don't know why. Their names aren't really that similar. Um, and then, like, I always think it's this guy, and then I see Havenstein, and I'm like, oh, wait, no. That's the one that went to high school with Jace, not the random Raven. Yeah, who I, a, a, a different uh, large white Wisconsin tackle. Yes, <laughs> correct. Yeah, Havenstein went to Wisconsin too. That's right. That, yeah, that's I why. believe they were on the team at the same time. That's why. Okay. <laughs> All right, we'll have Jace give those clues once more at the end of the episode. And for now, let's turn to it. It's time. Super Bowl preview. Kansas City Chiefs traveling to Tampa Bay to face the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at their home stadium. We're going to start first in this preview looking at what are the keys when the Kansas City Chiefs have the ball? What are the keys for, for both sides? 
So question one, guys, can the Buccaneers speed on defense, which we saw really work well against uh, the Green Bay Packers, both in rushing the passer, making Rodgers run for his life on several occasions, and also in terms of dealing in, in coverage, can the Bucks speed stymie the Chiefs' playmakers? Not stop them, but contain them only just enough to uh, to keep the points down in this game. Yeah, I think that's the key. They're not going to stop them, but I also think the KC needs to not start slow in this game or it might be finally the one where it's like, oh, maybe we can't actually make this comeback because we took our time to actually remember that we were playing a football game. Um, I think the Buccaneers' speed on the front line and at the linebacker position is greater than their speed in the back end, especially with both safeties questionable. You expect them both to play. Um, I think they're going to have a hell of a time with Tyreek Hill. If you look at the last game, he went for over 200 yards. I don't know if they're going to let that happen again. But if they don't let that happen again, yeah, let's just throw it to Travis Kelsey 400 times. Now, on that, Devin White can keep up with Travis Kelsey. Now, can any linebacker stay with him the whole game? I don't think so. But if there is a linebacker in the NFL that has a chance, it's Devin White and Levante David. The pass rushing is where it gets interesting. And we will talk about this, spoiler alert, in our prop bets a little bit later in the show. (laughs) Uh, Some fun prop bets that we have for you if you like to make a little bit of money. Both tackles being out for the Kansas City Chiefs against Shaq Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul is where the Bucs can win this game. They constantly have to upset Patrick Mahomes, put him on the ground, which is a lot easier said than done. I understand that. And, and basically neutralize him as a runner, as, a, as an improviser. And when, again, when I say neutralizer, it's like Antonio saying stymie. You're not going to completely shut it down, but you're going to make it less of an less impactful, I should say, than it usually is. So for me, yes, they can. And if they do stymie them, it's going to be with the pass rush more than it is covering these freak athletes that uh, that Kansas City rolls out there every Sunday. Yeah, the the win is uh, not letting Patrick Mahomes throw for uh, 462 yards, which is what he did the uh, the last time these teams played. I agree with Tim. For me, I think the the big matchup has to be um, just along that line with Shaquille Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul. I mean, they had they combined for five sacks, which tied a season high against the Packers, or on Aaron Rodgers, rather. Um, and yeah, Mitchell Schwartz probably is out. Eric Fisher definitely out. That's a big concern. That's a concern to me. Uh, because like Tim said, you're not going to... Patrick Mahomes has still got to get his, but... He might be forced to move around a little bit if they can pressure, especially pressure with four. And if that, if they're able to do that, you know, that just adds bodies you can throw into coverage. And like he said, the linebackers can keep up with Travis Kelsey. Now, I don't know that they have a solution for Tyreek Hill necessarily. That is a very young back end. But I, I think this game is really for the Chiefs when it comes to their offense going to be won and lost on if that offensive line can hold up. And they also, they had a... Um, one of their centers who started several games this year, um, he, he was placed on, uh, the COVID reserve list today. Now it was apparently just as a close contact. So, uh, assuming all tests well, he'll likely be back for the Super Bowl, but he won't be able to get a ton of practice time in this week. And, you know, they leave on Friday. So I don't know exactly how all that works out. So I have concerns about the chiefs offensive line that I don't think we've had with this unit in certainly the last year and a half or so. 
in the Bucks game against the Packers, both Packers starting tackles were getting absolutely torched play after play by Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul. Uh, as you mentioned, the, you know, the backup left tackle there with Bakhtiari out. But the Packers also did not adjust by trying to chip on those guys or trying to, especially on the left side, give any help blocking. And I don't see the Chiefs failing to adjust. I I, I trust Andy Reid a lot in this situation. I think they're going to work on getting the ball out quickly to neutralize that. They have 75 different options in, in terms of that type of game. I think they're going to try to go really wide a lot. And it's just Patrick Mahomes against a pass rush. I just think he's going to find the windows and find the little slots and, and ways to sort of... I mean, playing against him, when the Ravens go against him, that backpedal drives us all insane, where he can just create an extra two seconds, three seconds with those backpedaling steps and make the same throw that every other quarterback makes, you know, with planted feet. Um, It it is certainly going to be an issue, but I think the Chiefs will adjust to it. What tricks do you think Andy Reid is going to have with, again, two weeks to prepare for for a game like this, so many shovel passes, just the most shovel passes. Um, you know that little that little shovel pass to Kelsey on like the two yard line just seems un- unstoppable. Which is can we bet game. that? Is that a prop bet that we can have? Will that throw happen? I don't know, Antonio. You sent us about eight million prop bets, so I'm sure it's in there at some point. I didn't do the control F on shovel pass, but maybe I'll have to look at that one. Um, I think. I, this is the thing, and I'm, it's, I'm, I'm taking my disdain for this inevitable dynasty out of it because Andy Reid is awesome. I mean, the guy looks like he's wearing a feed bag every time on the sideline now. Like he's, he's definitely <laughs> chewing on something in that just grotesquely big mask that sticks out. You know there's some sort of snack in there. I bet Cheez-Its. Can we bet on that? We could probably bet on what's in the mask <laughs> if we really wanted to. <laughs> but you got to love the guy, and you know that like something's coming. There's going to be a play that's going to put the Philly special to shame if the Chiefs need it. And uh, I don't have an answer as to what it's going to be, but I can almost guarantee if we can bet, and I don't know how they would judge this in uh, Las Vegas or whatever betting company you like to use, but if you could bet an over-under on trick plays, I would almost bet the over because these teams are just going to kitchen sink it. Plus, it's Bruce Arians versus Andy Reid. Like, these guys are going to go hammering tongues at each other the whole time. It's going to be great. I don't know what the exact stat is, but in his career, and this is effectively a bye week, Andy Reid, incredible numbers coming off a quote-unquote bye. Um, The one, I guess, final concern I will say I have sort of as it pertains to the Chiefs offense is um, they cannot really run the ball very well at all. Um, And the Bucs are the best team against the run. They gave up the fewest... uh, rushing yards per game and the fewest touchdowns per game uh, on the ground uh, or touchdowns on the ground this season. So um, even if they get a lead, I don't know how, like, it hasn't proven to be a problem really because, you know, Andy, they're so creative and Patrick Mahomes is so good. But if they try to run the ball, try to bleed clock, I don't know that they're going to be able to really. Um, And I think that's a concern. And we saw in their first matchup, like, that was a blowout that somehow ended up being, you know, a three or four point game uh, in the end, um, just because the Chiefs couldn't really put the Bucks away. Um, and so that gives me just a little pause. I don't, you know, call me old school, call me old school football brain. I don't love teams that can't just 
bleed the final four minutes off the clock without giving the ball back. And again, they might be able to. I think that you, they did it against the Browns with Chad freaking Henny. So, uh, you know, maybe it's not a huge problem. But that's just one thing I'm also going to keep an eye on. Turning the ball around now for when Tom Brady is on the field with the Bucks against the Chiefs defense. Let's just flip the same first question, guys. The Bucks have their own list of playmakers of guys that want the ball in their hands. Which Bucks playmaker do you think the Chiefs need to key on uh, of of Tampa Bay's different options in order to to keep their offense, you know, to to forty miles an hour as opposed to sixty? That's a good question. Um, I'd probably say Mike Evans, just because he's the most reliable. Um, you know, Godwin. As good as I like him, and I'd love him on the Ravens, can get the dropsies at times. Antonio Brown, uh, did not even play against the Packers, so I don't fully know what his um, status is. And he hasn't been the Antonio Brown, obviously, we saw with the Steelers all those years. Um, so he's probably their top guy for me. I think that he's the guy you kind of, if you if you can key on him, I think that takes a lot of their weapons away. Now. You know, I don't know if they'll be able to do that. I will say, Tom Brady, we saw, uh, even in a position of strength, can serve up interceptions, as he did in the NFC Championship game that the Packers should have won and somehow failed to do. Um, So, (laughs) I think they can get after him. I found an interesting stat that, and this is obvious, but probably, for most quarterbacks, but, you know, we've seen it throughout his career. If you can hit... Tom Brady, if you can pressure Tom Brady, he does worse, uh, especially with four. Uh, in games, he was sacked at least three times this season. Brady was two and three. So, you know, that's two, three of their five losses. He was sacked at least three times. So, if they can get him on the ground, you stand a good chance. The problem, as always, with Tom Brady, uh, less so this year than in, you know, all his Patriot years, but just he is so good at getting that stupid ball out uh, and not taking the sack. So,. They'll have their hands full, and I don't know that the Chiefs have necessarily, you know, uh, the difference-making, almost said D Ford. Frank Clark and Chris Jones up front are very good, but I don't know that they uh, have the kind of the same difference-makers that the Bucks kind of have in the fold. Yeah, I'll be honest. Um, if I could have a setting on my TV, they would just turn off the TV when it was the Bucks offense versus the Chiefs defense. <laughs> I would. And then it would just automatically turn back on, so I wouldn't miss a moment of the commercials or the other side of the ball. Because um, watching Brady in a Super Bowl, like I'm going to have to keep all objects away from me so I don't throw them at said television uh, watching this. Yeah, put him, put, him, put him on the ground. I don't care how much avocado ice cream and water he drinks. He's 43 years old. Put his butt on the ground. Chris Jones, Frank Clark, talking to you guys. Two of the stars of a Kansas City defense that doesn't have a ton of them. I mean, you look at uh, Ward, the cornerback, is their second corner. That guy's going to get picked apart if Brady has time. I think this is all about not taking away a particular weapon because across the board, if you're just going straight secondary versus Tampa Bay weapons, I think Tampa Chiefs secondary, excuse me, versus Tampa Bay weapons, I think Tampa Bay wins every single battle. In my opinion, um, so for me, it's more. Don't let them have the big plays. I mean, the 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 end of the half, the Scotty Miller, Kevin King thing cannot happen in this game because you know Arians is going to go for it. That guy doesn't give a damn. 
about, you know, just chucking the ball down the field. But for me, it, it really is up front, you know, not to just say what Jay said, but it really is Frank Clark pressure up the middle. It sounds it sounds easy. It sounds simple. But it's the thing that everybody says all the time because it is effective. Get in his face. Make sure he can't do the three step drop, the five step drop. Push that center back into his gut and force him to move because the guy can't move. He can't. He can do one quarterback sneak a game that goes for like two yards when they have when it's fourth and a yard and a half. He goes for two, and that's all he's got. So I don't necessarily look at it as as the Chiefs taking away a particular weapon. I look at it more of getting pressure on Brady. And the other thing we should mention, as we mentioned last week, when Steve Spagnola, the defensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs, has time to prepare for an opponent, just like his head coach Andy Reid, He usually does a pretty good job. If you don't remember, he was the man that stopped the undefeated Patriots from winning a Super Bowl. It was his defense, his front four, and I will love him forever for doing it because (laughs) the Patriots didn't go undefeated. Don't let anybody tell you they did because they lost the most important game. I don't care if they won every single regular season game. It doesn't matter. That guy will have plans for Tom Brady and these weapons, so it'll be interesting to see what sort of wrinkles he has up his sleeve as well. You talk about Reed. I'm interested to see, if I'm watching it, what Spagnolo has up his sleeve as well to go against Tom Brady. Yeah, uh, and I guess just to, because I I can probably speak for all of us, I love him. Tyron Matthew, if he could get oh, some, yes. make some big plays in the back end. He is obviously kind of their linchpin back there. Um, and he's going to be the guy, if they get a play, I think, from the secondary, it's going to have to be him. Because I, I agree with what Tim said, it's... There's not a ton back there outside of him. He 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 really kind of, but he does it all for him. So that'll be a fascinating matchup. Uh, just Matthew versus Brady. I, my inclination is Brady's too smart to even throw in his direction. But as we saw, he threw, served up three very bad interceptions for the most part in the NFC title game. So you know Brady's not above reproach, obviously. And so if yeah, if Tyron Matthew can make some plays, that could really obviously change the game. Jace, you mentioned the Chiefs' struggles to run the ball. A, a sort of postseason uh, flourish has been the Bucks' running game with Leonard Fournette doing better than I ever thought he would. He has looked so bad for Jacksonville for so many years and then really had a fairly quiet you know, part, part of the season with the Bucks this year, but then in the playoffs has really put some things together to give them just another wrinkle. He's been breaking tackles, catching passes out of the backfield, which I, I always thought he was like a just pure dropsy stone hands out of the backfield kind of guy, but he's made some some plays in the air. So how important, Jace, if you if you know more about the, the Chiefs running game here than or, or Tim, whoever wants to jump in here, um, how big of a disparity would you say the running games are here and how big of a factor do you think that will be in, in, in a one-game Super Bowl-like sample size? It's definitely fascinating because, as you mentioned, it's come on strong in the regular season. The uh, the Bucks actually ran significantly worse than the Chiefs. They were twenty eighth in the NFL in yards per game. The Bucks were, but uh, as you said, I thought I think Leonard Fournette's looked great. Uh, obviously, in um, he had that really nice touchdown run in the NFC title game against the Packers. Um, so I think like him and Ronald Jones have kind of been banged up and dealing with injuries. But I do like Ronald Jones a lot too. I think obviously. Uh, People have said the blueprint of it to beat Mahomes is to, you know, one of the best keys is to just keep the ball away from him, something the Ravens have done a very poor job of doing in their matchups against him. But uh, if they're able to do that, 
keep the ball away from him with any semblance of a running game, I think that's pretty promising because it's not like the Chiefs are the stoutest run defense either. They're uh, they're 14th against the run per game, so right in the middle of the pack. Um, and just you know, transparency: the Bucks are also 21st against the run. Uh, or no, no, sorry, I was looking at the wrong number. Bucks are first against the run. I was going to say the Bucks are very very good against yeah, the run. I said that earlier. Uh, my apologies. Uh, <laughs> I trust my gut. Yes, the Chiefs are twenty first. Excuse me, against the run, um, while the Bucks are first. So, as we were saying earlier, I do not anticipate the Chiefs being able to run. Bucks might a little bit if they're able to find their footing like they have in the playoffs, and that might be the difference. Just if you're able to limit possessions, if you're able to just keep the ball away from Mahomes. You know, in theory, Tom Brady doesn't turn the ball over a ton, but uh, that's obviously been put to the test a little more at times this season. But um, yeah, I, I think I think there's a chance for them to get the run game going, and that I, you have to be a little concerned if you're the Chiefs because you want the ball, I obviously, in Patrick Mahomes' hands as much as possible. Last intangible that I want to talk about here. This home home field advantage, does this exist? Will the Bucks home crowd actually play any factor in this game? There's only supposed to be 22,000 fans. A big chunk of that is going to be, which is a good thing, uh, healthcare workers who sort of fought the COVID pandemic and are probably maybe actively fighting the COVID pandemic. 7,500 healthcare workers will be in attendance of that 22,000. Are we at like high school level fans of of the remaining fans? They're not all going to be Bucks fans in theory. Like I don't know what the exact split is going to be on who got which tickets, but how big of a factor could this play? I guess in, in a game between which is almost always, or yeah, just about always at a neutral site. Yeah, I'm going to say not a factor at all for a couple of reasons. Um, one, I love the narrative of like ah. Oh, the first year that we have a home team playing in their home stadium for the Super Bowl and we don't have, get to have full fans, what a shame. No, it's Tom Brady, so I don't care. It's a good thing. <laughs> Two, it, even if this place was completely packed, it would mostly be neutral fans. These tickets are given out to companies. They're given out to broadcasters. They're given out to all these different organizations who then give them to their CEOs or their higher-ups or whatever. And it's basically a corporate atmosphere for the Super Bowl is what most people who have gone will tell you. Would they would there be more Bucks fans than there would have been in, I don't know, Arizona? Sure. But I don't think it would have made that big of a difference. The only reason it could have made a difference is because these guys, as Bradley Bozeman and Patrick McCarry like to say, oh, man, it was actually kind of tough out there with a quarter of the stands full. <laughs> That is no longer an excuse. First of all, it's not an excuse anyway. It's even less of an excuse now because these guys have played in these atmospheres for a couple weeks. For whatever reason, COVID doesn't matter during the playoffs because Lambeau Field looked packed and so did uh, Arrowhead Stadium. It's just like we, we just forgot about COVID, but don't worry. The healthcare workers are coming to the Super Bowl, so we're, we're good, guys. We're good. Fine. And it's, well, and it's in Florida. 22,000, like. Not a small amount of people. Like that's it's not your your biggest NBA arena. It's not. It's not twenty two thousand people. You're right, Jason. You're um, right. But but what I would say is these guys have played in these atmospheres again. They're they're right. back to being used to playing in these type of atmospheres again. And also, like 
it's healthcare. The healthcare workers thing, Antonio mentioned it. It's great. I think that's really cool. I, you know, I joke about now they're deciding to, you know, kind of care, but it is cool to see these people who have put their lives on the line for all of us jabronis actually get to go to the game, which I think is great. But I really don't see the fans making any sort of difference either way. I just, I just don't. I don't think it'll impact the game so much. Uh, I'm in agreement with you there, but I do think Tim, the different. I think it being at home does give the Bucks, I think, a big uh, kind of advantage in game prep week. They don't have to travel. They don't have to. You know, this week they don't have to do. They did a virtual sort of media day thing, which was just like they put like. I think, like, nine guys on Zoom. Like, it wasn't a lot. It wasn't a big ask. It was kind of just, like, your normal Monday media check-in. Versus normally, most years, tonight would be your huge extravaganza media blowout. Guillermo from Jimmy Kimmel would be there. All that stuff. Um, And uh, they don't have to do all that this year. And I think... You know, I don't know that the Chiefs are going to be, like, because for them it's basically a normal game prep week, which I think probably also benefits them. They just, they're practicing, they fly in Friday, they play the game Sunday, that's it. So you're really just focused on the game. There's not all the hoopla that usually accompanies the Super Bowl. But that being said, I still think there's a benefit uh, for the Bucks this week, you know, practicing at their facility, playing at, you know, at home, sleeping in their beds for the most part and probably until, like, the night before they're just home doing the COVID testing, all that stuff. So I think that probably does actually help them, but I, I agree. I think for the game itself, I, I agree with you. I think, I, I don't know how they're doing the tickets this year, but I imagine it's, it's gonna, it's hard to imagine. It's not just as corporate as it always is. So I, I, I think for the Super Bowl, uh, it probably won't make too big of a difference. The Bucks being at home for the actual game. The last potential factor I'll throw in here is weather and being used to how your field handles different weather and what shoes to wear based on what the grass is like and the temperature is like, which are things I have sort of maintained are, are false, but that football ex-players talk about all the time. You do that, that half stud, that three-quarter stud, the full stud based on the grass and how wet it is. Rain currently in the forecast for Super Bowl Sunday, but it's looking at the moment to be in the morning and then sort of cleared out by evening time. So that'll probably mean something about how the grass is laying or this, that, and the other. But uh, certainly if you're a team that's used to playing on, on your field year in, year out, maybe, maybe you have uh, slightly more information on, on what shoes to wear or how to run and all that stuff. Any final uh, thoughts in terms of X's and O's on this game, guys, or else we're going to turn now to uh, to the prop bets. Props. And... Uh, we all have written down a few that we like. I have three. I'll go first, and then we'll uh, we'll go around the horn here. The first two I like, and the third one I love. The, th- the third <laughs> one is the, is the write it down with a pen, guys, as, as you listen out there. But the first two, Brady, to throw an interception, yes, is minus 140, which means that if you bet $140, you win 100 if if a line is plus let's say plus 110 you can bet 100 and you win 110 that's how the plus minuses work so for brady to throw an interception is minus 140 i am all over that happening in this game the the tom brady of those first 3 super bowls i would say he's not going to do that the tom brady of the 16 and 0 season i i would be sort of hesitant to bet on him to throw an interception 
But the 42, 43-year-old Tom Brady, who still has to take that extra step to heave the ball downfield, it hangs in the air a little bit longer when he does throw that ball downfield, that Brady will. And I think it's specifically in a game where he is going to have more passing attempts than he probably would want um, because they're playing the Chiefs. Points are going to be scored. I think one of the, the more of those attempts that he throws, the more likely there's an interception, a tip ball, anything like that can happen. And I think he throws at least one. So I like that yes for Brady. For Mike Evans, his top wide receiver, or his top red zone wide receiver, I should say, to score a touchdown in this game, yes is minus 115. Mike Evans has been beat up throughout the year. He hasn't had sort of those vertical uh, downfield numbers, but he has been dominant in the red zone. And not only is he good at it, but he gets the ball there a lot. There's a lot of usage for him in the red zone. They will attempt at least one jump ball to him if they are inside the 10-yard line in this game. And I like his odds of out-jumping a corner who's 6 to 8 inches shorter than him. And then my last one. And this is the big one. So get your pens out. Get your phones out. Notes mode. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, or if it's Monday Night Football, Clyde Edwards-Elaire. His rushing attempts over-under number is 10.5. I am all over the under, and that is minus 110. Edwards Alaire has been hurt, was hurt, I should say, the last month of the NFL season. He had a hip strain and a high ankle sprain. He missed their first playoff game. He then came back for the Bills game and had six carries for seven yards. Darrell Williams has been their starter the last few weeks. He's had 13 carries in each playoff game, and I just don't understand where all these carries are going to come from. Darrell Williams will get double-digit carries. Le'Veon Bell is there. He's going to potentially steal a carry or two. Mahomes is going to have a few rushing attempts. There's going to be a few of those sweeps to to Tyreek Hill or McCole Hardman. A few of those shovel passes, at least one, Tim, uh, in that game when they're in the in the red zone or at the goal line. So I just how many rushing attempts are going to be left for a team that A, doesn't love running the ball, B, doesn't feel the need to run the ball, and C, is playing, as Jace mentioned, against the number one rush defense in the NFL. So I I see Andy Reid feeling no need to have a bunch of rushing attempts in this game. He's going to put the ball in Mahomes' hands. He's specifically, we've seen him put the ball in Mahomes' hand on any big down. If it's third and two, fourth and two in a big game scenario, they don't run it. Mahomes keeps it, he rolls out, he finds Hill, maybe he scrambles himself. I love this under 10.5 rushing attempts for Clyde Edwards-Alaire. And those are my three prop bets for the Super Bowl. Antonio, I have a prop I love that kind of ties into that, because as mentioned, Chiefs do not run the ball particularly well. Bucks do not give up much on the ground. They are number one against the run in yards, number one against the run in terms of touchdowns against and for that reason i am going that the chiefs will not have a rushing touchdown at plus 240 i completely agree i like the i like the plus numbers i completely agree with you when they said and i was actually thinking of this when i saw this they do that stupid shovel pass to travis kelsey at the one they do you know Mahomes rollouts, uh, Tyreek Hill sprint outs. They do not just run. And the Bucks don't allow anything on the ground. So I like 
the chances of the Bucks not allowing a rushing touchdown and the Chiefs not. I just don't even think the Chiefs will try to have a rushing touchdown. Like, it's hard to even imagine them getting kind of in the vicinity to have a rushing touchdown. So I like the odds. So I'm going with uh, Chiefs will not have a rushing touchdown at plus 240 uh, just because the Bucks are so good at, at it. Uh, and then hand-in-hand with that because the Chiefs cannot run and the Bucks don't give up much against the run. Uh, Patrick Mahomes touchdown passes over two and a half plus 120. That seems low. Patrick Mahomes throws a lot of touchdowns. Uh, and I think if the Chiefs are to win this game, because I think they're not going to have running success, that will require Patrick Mahomes to throw. If they're not getting any rushing touchdowns, someone's got to throw them. And the Chiefs are scoring at least 21 points. So there you go. Patrick Mahomes over two and a half touchdown passes. Um, and then my final prop I liked uh, that caught my eye is Tom Brady will have a rushing touchdown. Yes, plus 210. Um, And he can't move. We've established that. He only had 30 yards rushing this regular season. He did have three touchdowns, however. And he also has a touchdown in the playoffs. He is so good at that stupid QB sneak. He's probably the best I've ever seen at running the QB sneak. I don't know why a guy as immobile as he is is so good at it when other... It's got to just be he has the timing down and he has the read down because there's guys way more athletic than him that just... Like, you know, we've watched Joe Flacco for years. That guy should have a better first down every QB sneak. 6'6", six, six, like 2-whatever he was, just lean forward. But he he could, he could got stopped fr- frequently. <laughs> um, and But Tom Brady, I've never seen the guy stopped on a 4th fourth, uh, fourth and 1 QB sneak. Um, and so because of that... Uh, I don't know. I just envision a scenario where they're down on the goal line, first and goal, and he just does that stupid sneak for a touchdown. Uh, and uh, it caches. So that's why I'm going with it. Plus odds on it. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, it caught my eye, and I thought it was a fun one. So that's how I'm going with my final prop. So Jace, I like uh, the uh, your first two props there, just yin and yang, right with each other. The, yeah, the Chiefs, I'll, they can't run a touchdown, and thus Mahomes will have to throw for over two and a half. I'm in real trouble when uh, Daryl Williams <laughs> rushes for like 130 or something. <laughs> yeah, you seem to forget about playoff Damian last year, who then isn't playing this season, uh, and now it'll just be playoff Daryl. Um, so there's a reason I'm not a gambler, because I have eight prop bets that I love. Um <laughs> I don't. Get I won't say. I won't say. I love all of these, but some of them are just too good to not mention on the show. And if you are a gambling man and you want to have, or, or woman, I should say, and want to have a bit of a bit of a flutter, you might as well. I'll start with this one because it plays off of the rushing one for Jace Brady over a half a rushing yard, over one half of a rushing yard <laughs> is plus one hundred. It's positive, and so all it all you need is one of those annoying QB sneaks to go for at least a yard. I'm banking on that and the plus odds, so give me plus 100 on that. Um, The first one I have written down before that one, actually, is sprinkle a little bit of money on both Mahomes and Brady to win Super Bowl MVP. There's too many storylines. One of them is going to win it unless unless a defensive player has, like, eight sacks. They're going to give it to Mahomes or Brady. That's just what's going to happen here. We all know the narrative. We're all tired of the narrative, frankly. And I, I might have to mute the TV during the game so I don't hear, hear have to hear more about said narrative. But Mahomes is minus 120. Brady is 9-5. to five. 
So just put a little money on each. You're going to win one of them. Like I can almost guarantee that. Um, Talking about the Tampa Bay defense and two guys to possibly get a sack on Tom Brady, Shaquille uh, Shaq Barrett to get a sack is minus one fifteen. Jason Pierre-Paul is minus one fifty. I think one of them is going to, and just because Barrett has a little better odds at minus one fifteen, give me Shaq Barrett over Jason Pierre-Paul just because of the slightly better odds for him. Number four, and this is where they start to get a little bit crazier. A successful two-point conversion. Yes is plus 190. No is minus 220. It's Bruce Arians and Andy Reid. One of them is going to have a two-point trick play up their sleeve. One of them is going to go for two right at the beginning of the game just to, like, (laughs) prove a point or try and separate themselves. And I think they're going to get it. So give me plus 190 uh, minus the 220. I love that pick, too. Thank you. (laughs) A little bit different from that, and this is where... I don't love my pick because I'm just going back and forth, and I almost said scrap this one, but I kind of want to see if it happens. Total punts. The line is six and a half. The under is plus 120. The over is minus 140. So you're thinking, let's see how Tim's doing this. He's going to take the under, right? Because two high-scoring offenses, team like I don't even know either of the punters for either of these teams, to be fair. And it's plus odds. I'm going to take the over six and a half because I think one that sets you up for a potential blowout where the other team is just punting, punting, punting to start the game, which if the chiefs play like they did against the bills could happen very easily. And two, the super bowl is always tense. Tom Brady has scored a total of three points in all of the first quarters of all of his super bowls, a total of three points. So something tells me that th- that this game is going to be cagey at the start and teams might have to punt the ball a little bit. So give me over on the total punts. My final three here, and sorry, I'm taking way too much time. Will a missed field goal hit the upright? <laughs> the greatest kicker of all time did it twice. So one of these jabronis <laughs> is going to do it once in this game, and the plus odds are plus 310. On that. See, but they do that. They do that on purpose, Tim. I and know. they phrase that specifically. With it. It's going to hit the upright, and it's going to go in, and you don't win the bet because it has to be a missed field goal. And that's what annoys me about that one. I 100% agree with you there, but I just watched my Lord and Savior, Justin Tucker, hit do it twice. So one of these guys is going to do it once, and it's plus 310 as opposed to minus 380 for the no. So give me that one. I'm bringing in my day job here, bringing in a little soccer. I'm wearing the Liverpool hat as we record this. Liverpool, Manchester City is that morning. <laughs> if I didn't need enough stress in my day. Liverpool, Man City is at 1130. You should watch that game. It's pretty much a title decider. Is more Bucks TDs, or what? It, the bet is, what is more? Bucks touchdowns or Liverpool plus Man City goals? If you say more Bucks touchdowns, you get it at even money. If you say more goals in the soccer game, it's minus 120. As someone who has watched Liverpool and Man City play out a load of times, it always ends up nil-nil, 1-1, or 2-1, or something like that. So it's it's always a tight game. Guardiola went to Anfield two years ago to play for a nil-nil draw. I think the biggest score in, in the recent history of these two teams being dominant, not to do too much soccer talk, is probably the highest score is probably two one, and that's that's <laughs> high. So I'm going more bucks TDs and the even money, which is the better bet, obviously in terms of value. So give me that. And my last one, final whistle. 
All the confetti comes down. The Lombardi trophy gets lifted. And I'm putting money on the Ravens to win the Super Bowl in 2022 at 12 to 1. I love that so much. I was waiting for that one. I saw it. It disappeared from the notes here for a second. And I was sad. And I'm happy again because I am all in on that bet, Tim. I think uh, Pod Like a Raven may have to put some pod like a raven pennies down on that and then we can talk about it for the entire next season as we get through the uh, regular season to the postseason love love the 12 to 1 have i already talked myself into talk talk myself into 13 and 3 absolutely we were so close to it this year just some things went on against us ravens all the way in 2021 i love it two left tackles a healthy quarterback (laughs) everybody's coming back Boyle's happy now uh, but a quick thing, quick note I wanted to add for some of our listeners. When Tim was doing that Bucks touchdown versus uh, Liverpool and Man City goals, uh, s- games can end in ties in soccer, guys. So as you're thinking about this bet, uh, a one-to-one game, they don't have to keep playing. They don't have to keep scoring. It can just end one-to-one, and everybody's okay. So uh, for the Jason Sudeikis's out there listening who aren't sure about whether or not there are ties <laughs> in soccer in Europe, there are. So I, I'm also intrigued by that, by that line, Tim. Those are some great, uh, some great props by you. Thank you. Yeah, that game is always close. So, I, look, you can get nil-nil, you can get one-nil, you can get one-one. One-nil either way, by the way. So that's four different score results, and the Bucks only need to score three touchdowns, which I think they're probably going to do. All right, last thing to do here is uh, give our final game, official game picks, and then have Jace answer uh the random raven so um i guess let's do our picks first i'll I'll go first here and i'm taking uh i'm taking the best team in the nfl to win the most important game of the nfl season i'm taking chiefs i'm taking the three points they're better they've been the best team all season they've come off the super bowl win they haven't had a hangover by it uh patrick mahomes Lost one game all season, basically. He he went 14-1 and one, and then has pretty much handled the playoff games. Had he not gotten hurt, that Browns game, I think, would have been a wider margin than it ended up being simply because he went out in that game. I don't think that's going to happen here. And I just think they have too many weapons. I just think they score way more <laughs> more points than the Bucks are able to score, and it's the most simplistic analysis you'll hear, but I just see us a week from now saying, oh, they were better, and they won again. And what what were we doing considering this game was going to be a super close game? Why What all the Tom Brady talk? Like, no, the better team won, and I think they're going to win this game by, by a touchdown. So I have Chiefs minus three, uh, and that is my final pick. Trying to go for, uh, well, I'll, I'll recap my, my gambling numbers next week, but last pick in here, trying to get to uh, like a 62, 63% uh, win number there, and I'm, I'm riding the Chiefs. Here's the thing, Antonio. And get ready for, you talked about simplistic analysis. This might even be anti-analysis. But here's the thing. You raise great points. The Chiefs are clearly the better team. They are. They should win this game. But I have found that often in the NFL, the result you most want to happen so rarely occurs (laughs) that you're always just usually left disappointed by one thing. It's the Steelers winning the Super Bowl. It's the Patriots winning the Super Bowl. It's... You know, the Ravens losing in the divisional rounds yet again. Um, That I am just uh, going with the theory that 2020 was bad for most people. 2021 not shaping up especially better in the early going here. Uh, 
And I'm picking the Bucks. I'm picking the Bucks to win the Super Bowl. I'm picking Tom Brady to win his seventh Super Bowl because I just think they're going to do some stupid stuff. I think they're going to get after Mahomes a little bit uh, with those tackles out. And I think he throws a pick. Should, lest we forget, the 49ers were up 10 points in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl last year. They could have won the Super Bowl. The Chiefs might not have won. Um, but, you know, they they collapsed uh jimmy g did not necessarily help the niners the bucks have tom brady uh and i just see him pulling some dumb crap out of his butt and winning this game to just infuriate everyone patriots fans might even be mad at him like it's it 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 would be it would just be so perfect cap to this season so you know no real analysis there i just have a hunch that the bucks are gonna win to to make me personally miserable yeah um I I don't know. I I really still am on the fence 100% about the way this is going to go. Because I think if if one team is going to get blown out, it's going to be the Bucks. Like the Chiefs will not be blown out in this game. So they're like Antonio said, there is all the potential for that. But the NFL hates us and um <laughs> I am taking the points and Tom Brady because it's the points and Tom Brady. Maybe it's more of this, like, I kept betting against the Ravens and they kept winning thing that I'm just doing that. And, like, yeah, I'm kind of more willing to succumb to the overlord that is Patrick Mahomes than see Tom Brady win another freaking Super Bowl and not be able to watch sports for, I don't know, until the NFL draft and then maybe even then turn it off when the Bucks have to make a selection. Um, so... I am also taking Bucks plus three with the massive caveat that one, I don't want it to happen. Two, I could definitely see this as a blowout. And like Antonio said, we're getting on this podcast uh, next Tuesday, and we're all saying, why were Jason Tim so, so stupid <laughs> and picking Tampa Bay? Um, the only other real piece of uh, analysis that I want to hit on, because you both hit on it really well, and I think it's, it's a very valid point here, too. Um, outside of everything we've talked about, the Bucks could muddy this game. And they can run the ball. Playoff Leonard Fournette is a thing. They might have a better chance running the ball against the Chiefs than the Chiefs do against them. And they could slow this game down and grind it to a halt and win a, a very ugly, probably still a little bit high scoring, not like a, like a 9-6 LSU Alabama from years ago, which is still... <laughs> I maintain one of my favorite football games of all time, but <laughs> it could turn into something like that um, between these two teams, uh, and that could be the difference. So I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but just for all those reasons and just knowing that he's going to win another one, and it's going to be so annoying. I'm picking Bucks plus three. Jace, can you give us those random Raven clues one more time, and then we'll yes, get out of here. So, clue number one. This player was drafted by the Ravens in the fifth round of the 2013 NFL Draft. He appeared in 62 games for the Ravens over four years, making 47 starts. He moved on to the Detroit Lions in free agency after the 2016 season, where he played for three years before he was cut by the team in March of 2020. The Wisconsin product spent this past season with his home state Green Bay Packers, and Antonio mentioned uh, was one of the tackles that was getting burned by Jason Pierre-Paul and uh, uh, Shaquille Barrett. Um, 
And then our final clue, his number 71 has since been worn by Jermaine Illuminor and Jelly Ellis. And the bonus, because it tied into one of the guys we talked about today, he played right tackle. <laughs> uh, I have a guess, but I feel like Tim was on this one before I was. So, Tim, why don't you uh, take, take this away? This is Rick Wagner. Who it is. Wasn't loved in Baltimore, but maybe I, I don't know. What do we think of Rick Wagner? The the Rick Wagner retrospective is it like? Can he play guard? Yeah, <laughs> actually, great point. Don't even need to say anything else. Let's wrap it. Up. Yeah, I, he was solid. They moved on. That was kind of why I thought of it, reading about Orlando Brown was because it was like kind of the same thing. He was a, a mid mid round pick. They got his, their four years out of him. He was pretty solid, and they said, congrats, take care, and that was it. <laughs> they let him walk for a, a big deal in free agency, and, uh, you know, we're in the wilderness at right tackle for a year or two until they drafted Orlando Brown, but then you draft Orlando Brown, and the cycle repeats. So, <laughs> Rick Wagner, random Raven of the week. That's a great choice there, Jace. That is all we have for you guys this week. Uh, final game of the NFL season, of one of the weirder NFL seasons and, and weird N- uh, Ravens season as well. Just the Super Bowl to play out. We will be watching it. We hope you will as well. And we will be back next week to talk all about the game, to analyze our prop bets that all of them hit correctly. And we will look ahead to the off season and what it means for our beloved Ravens. For Tim Horsey and Jay Sevens, I am Antonio Barbera. Have a fantastic week and weekend. We will see you next week. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.